Well, like I said, Happy New Year. I'm so glad to be with you guys here at the very beginning of a new year. If you're anything like me, I love New Year's. And the reason why is because it is an opportunity for me and for us to look back on an entire year of our lives, process out all the things that God had done. Uh, this year in particular is really special because, of course, this isn't just a new year, it's a new decade. So we're looking back on 10 years of life. Some of us very fondly, some of us, you know, not so fondly. Uh, for me, this decade uh, brings with it some really amazing uh, anniversaries, one of which is uh, Brandy and I, we've been married for uh, a little over 10 years now, which blows my mind. Uh, but specifically around this time, Brandy and I got to celebrate our 10-year anniversary of our first big marital conflict. It was our first big fight as a married couple. It was right around this time 10 years ago. What was going on is we, we had just gotten married, and we decided that we were going to spend our first winter break at a conference, a missions conference called Urbana in St. Louis. Uh, and so we were living in Houston at the time. We were going to, uh, uh, we were going to drive from Houston to Dallas uh, to Little Rock and then make our way to St. Louis for the conference. And that's what we did. We stopped for lunch in Dallas at a subway. It's going to become important in a second. Uh, and then on the way to our hotel in Little Rock, we stopped for gas. And as we were getting back, in, back to the car, I pull the handle of the car and I realize... I locked my keys in my car. Now, uh, every one of us has done this, right? I'm not, I'm not by myself, yes? It's, it's really stressful. It's difficult. But I remembered that my wife always carried a spare key in her purse. So I turned to Brandy and I go, wife, beautiful, beloved wife, can I have your purse? Because I need to get the spare key. And she goes, oh, you know what? I think I left it in the car. <laughs> So now, now we locked our keys in the car and the purse and the spare key in the car. Kind of defeats the purpose of having a spare key. Uh, so we're, we're stressed. We call a locksmith. We get the car unlocked. We start driving. Um, and about an hour in, I realized that when we got in the car, we were so focused on getting to Little Rock that we never actually confirmed that Brandy's purse was in the car. So Brandy's looking around for her purse, and she can't find it. So we pull over, we open the trunk, and it's not there. And guys, car's not that big, okay? It's not like it's hidden somewhere. Uh, and I'm really stressed out. So I, go to, I, I look at my wife, and I go, Brandy, I need you to focus, okay? <laughs> Where, retrace, retrace your steps. Where could you have left it? And she looked at me, and she goes, what are you talking about? We've been in the car this whole time. It's not like I accidentally threw it out the window on I-35, okay? I don't know where it is. So we just kind of stopped and thought about it, and we remembered the last time we had the purse was at the subway in Dallas. So we called, the manager picks up and confirmed that they did, in fact, have the purse, but the manager goes, well, I, we need you to know that the reason why we have it is because we found it with one of our employees, she had stolen it, and she stole everything out of the purse before we got to it. I'm sorry, we can't, we can't recover any of the stuff that she stole. This was a big deal for us because we had been newly married, and Brandy was carrying all of our wedding gifts in the purse. So hundreds, thousands of dollars worth of 
gift cards and cash friends and family had given to us to start a new life together. And this stranger had stolen that from us. And if any of you have ever experienced having something stolen from you, you know that it is an act of violence. It's a, it's a violation. And I was so angry. We couldn't really do anything at that moment. So we headed to St. Louis, finished up the conference, and on the way back, we stopped by the subway to recover Brandy's bag because at that point, that's all it really was, an empty bag. And when we got the bag, the manager looked at us and she goes, do you want to press charges? They had fired her already. Do you want to press charges? And all I could think in my head was, yes. <laughs> I wanted her to pay for what she did to us. But before I could get that word out of my mouth, my wife stepped forward and Brandy said, no. And I would go, what? She said, no. And then she goes, but can you tell us how we could get in touch with her? And the manager looks at us and goes, yes. In fact, I can show you where she lives, which I don't know what this manager was thinking would happen. But before I could ask too many questions, all of a sudden I found myself in the car following this subway manager in the middle of the day to an apartment complex. She gets out of the car, she points to an apartment on the second floor of a building, and then she gets back in the car and drives away, uh, presumably so that she wouldn't be accessory to whatever happens next. <laughs> we walk up the stairs and my wife knocks on the door, and this girl, about 19 years old, answers the door, and Brandy goes, is your name such and such? And uh, she goes, yes. And then Brandy looks at her and says, hi, my name is Brandy, and a week ago, you stole my purse. Now, how would you feel if you were in my shoes? I'll tell you how I felt. I was angry. I was very angry. I was burning up with anger because this person had violated me, had done violence to me, had hurt me, and all I wanted to do was do something to hurt her back. And in my head, I called it justice, but really all it was was vengeance. I needed to satisfy my own sense of vengeance. I wanted payback. And if we're honest with ourselves, every single one of us in this room, we've been hurt before. Where our lives slam up against the brokenness and darkness and, and evil of this world. We experience that all the time. We're stumbling, stumbling around our lives, constantly slamming up against this pain. But if we're honest with ourselves, this Evil isn't just what's being perpetrated against us. We're honest. Oftentimes, we ourselves are the perpetrators. Isn't that true? Because what happens? What do hurt people do? They hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. That's what happens. And I know that we're here in this room, new year, and we're thinking this is going to be different. New year, new me, new world. But the truth is, that January 1st is just another day. It's just another day. And so the real question that I needed to ask myself, and we all need to ask ourselves, 
is do we understand or do we know how to navigate the wreckage of our world? We see it all the time in our families, in our marriages, as parents to our children, as children to our parents, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, on TV, in the newspaper, everywhere. We see this wreckage. How are we supposed to navigate? Who is supposed to be our guide? And so fundamentally, as we are here looking at God's word, the question is, is do we know God's heart? And do we understand his heart for this broken world to let it be our guide? Or are we stumbling around with our own sense of personal justice to try and make sense of all the violence in our world? Do you know God's heart? Because if you know God's heart, you can navigate God's world. And that's what we're talking about today. We're in the book of Jonah chapter 4. If you have your Bible, you can open up there. A little bit later, we're going to throw it up on the screen. Uh, We're going to look at this story, and we're going to investigate what God has to say about knowing his heart. And I know it's a little bit strange for us to start a, a talk at the end of the story. If you don't know, Jonah is four chapters. We're skipping Jonah one through three, getting straight to Jonah four. And if you're in this room and you are very aware and familiar with the story of Jonah, I wanna propose to you that, that there is something very powerful that God wants to say to you out of this last chapter. If you're unfamiliar with the book of Jonah because you didn't grow up in church, or I don't know, you didn't grow up watching Veggie Tales, here are the story beats to catch you up. Jonah was an Israelite, a Hebrew. He was on God's team. He was a good church kid. And God called him to be a prophet, someone who spoke his message to a group of people. And God said, I want you to go to this city called Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was the capital city, was the greatest city of the greatest, most powerful, most influential, and also the most corrupt, most violent, most vile empire the world had ever known. And certainly, Nineveh and Assyria had done violence to Jonah and his people. And so Jonah listens to God and says, no thanks, and runs the other way. He runs away. He doesn't go to Nineveh. He runs away because Nineveh stole his wife's purse. Get it? He's like, I'm not going there. And then God catches him on the boat, sends a storm sailors throw him out of the boat. He hits the water. He starts to drown. God rescues him with a fish or a whale or whatever. It's not important. God brings him back onto land after three days, and Jonah finally does the right thing. Goes to Nineveh, preaches the most half-hearted sermon ever. Five words. And then all of a sudden, everyone in Nineveh is weeping, and they're mourning their sin, and they're begging God to rescue them, and he does. But the story's not over, because that's not the point. We see the point, Jonah 4, verse 1. It says this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. This, it, is God rescuing this broken city of Nineveh, rescuing Jonah's enemy out of destruction. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and it says he was angry. Now, this word angry comes from a Hebrew root that means to burn. So he was literally, he was burning up on the inside because he was so 
furious. He was angry. He was burning. And in response to his anger, he says, it says, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? He goes, I told you this is what would happen. I knew it. I told you. I told you this would happen. And then he goes, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. He goes, that's why I ran away. That's why I ran, because you suck. That's why, I knew it. I hate this. That's why I ran. He says, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And you know what's so funny is that we read this, these words, and we're like, God, so beautiful, isn't it? Beautiful. What a beautiful description of God's character. But pay attention. Read it in context. Understand that Jonah is not praising God for these things. Instead, this is an accusation. He is indi- this is an indictment against God. He's not saying this because he loves God. He hates God. He hates him for these things. He's shaking his fist into the sky and saying, I knew you would do this. You're terrible. How could you do this? This is why I ran away in the first place. And then Jonah says, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He says, you know what? You could just kill me now, because I would rather die than live in a world where a God like you is running the show. I'm done. And as he turns his back, verse 4, the Lord responds and says, what did you say to me? No, he doesn't say that. <laughs> verse 4, the Lord says, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Right here we see that Jonah does not understand God's heart. He might have the right words. He might wear the right t-shirt, but he doesn't know God. If he did, this would not be his response. He doesn't know God. And in his anger, he walks away. This moment reminds me so much of coaching uh, my daughter's soccer team. Uh, Avonlea, uh, my, uh, one of my middle daughter, she was three years old when I got to coach her uh, soccer team. And, you know, what even is coaching soccer for three-year-olds? Um, and I got to tell you, uh, most of the time, whenever it came time to play games and stuff, most of the time, my, my sweet daughter, she hated soccer. And uh, a lot of, it was cold, it was early, and a lot of times she would just get so angry, she would literally just walk off the field. Like, this is, this is what she would look like right here. Can we pull it up? She, she would just be so upset. <laughs> just walk off the field. And can I tell you, I started to realize, oh my goodness, this isn't about soccer at all. This is not about soccer. Instead, this is an opportunity for me to be her dad, to parent. Because as my sweet girl walked off the field in anger, I wanted her to see this glorious goal that she could experience. She walked off the field, and I, as her dad, I got to walk right behind her. She sat down on the sideline. I sat right next to her, and I would say, hey, let's talk. Let's talk about what's going on. 
How are you feeling? What is making you so angry? And this is exactly what's happening here. Jonah is angry. And instead of just knocking him down or cutting him from the team, God, like a good parent, walks off the field with Jonah and says, hey, let's have a talk. What's funny is that Jonah doesn't even answer. God says, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah doesn't even say anything. He just keeps walking. And in verse 5, it says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So as Jonah is sitting on this hill waiting, I guess, to die or to see if God would change his mind, the heat starts to come and he becomes uncomfortable. He starts to become uncomfortable because of a physical burning. Get it? He's burning up on the outside. And so God sends this plant to grow up over him to relieve his discomfort, his physical burning. All the while on the inside, he's still burning. And it says that Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. He was exceedingly angry because of Nineveh, but he's exceedingly glad because of this physical relief. And then in verse 7, it says, But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. So God takes the plant away, and the burning comes back. The physical discomfort comes back. And Jonah's response to this physical discomfort is the same resentment and anger that he had over God's compassion. He says, kill me now. I don't want to live anymore. And so God takes this moment and says to Jonah, do you do well to be angry about the plant And he says, Jonah says, yes. He answers this time. He says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And you know, what's going on here is a lot of us, we want to say like the plant means this, the worm means this. But ultimately all this is, is God showing Jonah, hey, your heart is in the wrong place. God shows Jonah that his priorities are misplaced. And we give Jonah a hard time about being a child for being so, like, dramatic here. But the truth is, is, we do this. We do this all the time. Jonah prioritized his own personal comfort over the, 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 eternal, uh, the eternal destiny of an entire city. We do that all the time. Every one of us has a tendency to prioritize ourselves. What do people say? You got to look out for, number one, you got to look out for yourself first. Put yourself first. Every one of us has grown up in a culture that says, I am the captain of my fate. I'm the master of my own soul. I can do this myself. New Year's resolutions are inherently selfish, aren't they? They're all about making yourself better for whose sake? For your own sake. And whenever someone cuts in front of us in line or we don't get the promotion we think we deserve, it's the greatest offense in the world. And God wants to show Jonah, your priorities are all over the place. And I want you to know where my heart is coming from. This is the moment, guys. 
This is the moment where we understand why the book of Jonah is in your Bible in the first place. Because you see, if the book of Jonah was just a prophetic book, if it was just about prophecy, it would be one sentence long. It would be Jonah shows up to Nineveh and says, yet 40 days and Nineveh is destroyed and lo, everyone stopped being awful. The end. That would be, that would be it. If the book of Jonah was all about doing the right thing, some moral lesson about make the right choice, then the story would end at Jonah 3. Jonah did the wrong thing, God pulled, benched him, and then he did the right thing, the end. But that's not where the story ends. Instead, the book of Jonah ends with a conversation, and so you realize that everything up until this point has all been about Jonah's heart. All of it. The boat, the sea, the storm, the sailors, the fish, Nineveh, the city, their repentance, the plant, the worm, the, the east wind, the heat, all of it has been leading to this moment. Do you do well to be angry, Jonah? Because your priorities are not my priorities. And the Lord responds to Jonah's anger, and it says, the Lord said, you pity the plant. This word pity is also a word uh, for have compassion for or have care for. You have compassion. You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And then God reveals his heart. He says, and should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. God ends this story with a question. He invites Jonah to understand his heart. And what's so strange about this moment is that God just asks the question and we don't find out what the answer is. Go ahead. I mean, like, just turn to the next page of your Bible. It's not Jonah 5. It just ends with a question. Who ends a book like that? The reason why it ends this way is because this story was written to turn the question back onto you. Jonah had his heart in the wrong place. Said the right things, did the right things, but his heart was far from God because he fundamentally did not know his God. And it ends with a question because the, the, the word of God wants to ask you, so do you know the heart of God? Do you know God? And do you care about the things he cares about? So why are we talking about this? What does this mean for us? Two things to two groups of people. First, if you're not a Christian in this room, hey, it's the first Sunday of a new year, a new decade. You're like, I'm going to start this thing out right. I'm sure going to church is a good thing. Maybe you came to Christmas Eve service and you're like, I'm going to just keep this streak going. Whatever the case may be, you're here. You wouldn't say that you're a Christian. You wouldn't claim that you're a part of, of that uh, of that kind of uh, philosophy, ministry, whatever you want to call it. Well, let me tell you something. God wants you to know some realities about yourself and about humanity. The reality that every human being in their heart, in their nature, is fundamentally broken. Every person, every human heart is broken and has a tendency to run from God to say, I'm going to do this myself, my own way. And as we run away 
from the giver of life, all we find in the desert of our own choices is death. That's why in God's word it says, the wages of sin is death. And I don't have to convince you that there is a lot of death. There's a lot of death, even in this room. But what's amazing is that our God is everything that Jonah said he is. Compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And when we ran from him, he didn't just cross his arms, turn his back, and say, well, then run. Instead, he chases us. He pursues us to rescue us. And instead of sending a reluctant prophet with a half-hearted message of condemnation, instead, our God sends his son to rescue us. And that rebellion and treason that we commit against the God of the universe, God laid that on to Jesus. Jesus took that on to himself. He nailed it to a cross, dying the death that we deserve. He buried that sin and separation in the ground and he rose again from the grave so that to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, God would give the right to be called children of God. He would receive us and he would accept us. He would adopt us into his family. Because you see, Don't miss this. Jonah hated Nineveh. Jesus loves you. And he died for you. God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were enemies of God, not when we were good, not when we were making right choices, but when we were far and without hope, Christ died for us. And so if you're not a Christian in this room and you're thinking about your new year and your life and you're like, listen, I don't need another workout plan. I don't need another diet. I need a new heart. I need a new life. I need a new, new everything. Give me some hope here. Throw up your hands and say, Jesus, will you rescue me? By your death, burial, and resurrection, will you rescue me and call me yours? And he will and he does. For those of us who are Christians in this room, understand this, that even though many of us may have the right words, wear the right t-shirt, and show up to the right place at the right time on the right day of the week, the truth is that many of us are still stumbling around, still stumbling around, unsure of how we're supposed to negotiate this life because fundamentally we don't understand God's heart. And I know that's hard to hear, but it's the truth. Many of us in this room, we simply do not know God. You want to love God, but you don't know him. You don't. Jonah did not know God. And many of us, we don't know him. And what's beautiful is that this story doesn't end with a statement. Instead, it it, it ends with a question. Because a question is an invitation God asks a question because he's inviting us to know him, to know him deeply. Because you can't love someone you don't know. And God is inviting you to know him so that from the soil of that knowing, life and love can spring up. If I told you that I love my wife, if I told you that I loved my wife and every morning I sang her a love song, And then you go, that's great. Tell me, what's her favorite color? And I would say, I I don't know. And then you say, okay, well, what's her favorite food? I don't know. Is she allergic to anything? You should probably know that. I don't know. 
What, what are some important moments in her life? What does she care about? You know, gosh, I don't know. You would probably say, well, how can you say you love her? Do you even know her? You see, I know that a lot of us have heard this. Knowing God is about more than just knowing things about him. That is true. But it's certainly not less than that either. And so as we start to pursue knowing God, then we start to see this relationship and this depth and this love spring up. Hosea 6.6, God looks at his people and he says, I'm tired of all this ritual. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire knowing God above burnt offerings. In Romans 12, 12, it says, do not be conformed by the patterns of this world, but instead, what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Know me. And then when Jesus is praying for you, church, Christian, he says that authority has been given to him to grant eternal life to those who God has chosen. And then Jesus spells out what eternal life is. He says, this is eternal life, that we might know God, the one true God, and know Jesus Christ whom he sent. This is what the church is for. This is what Woods Edge Institute is for. This is what we are here to do, to open a door for you to know God deeply. You open your Bible up, one-year reading plan. You read that, and you're like, what on earth is going on here? And then you close it, and you go, but thank you for this day, and help me at work, and that's it. And you're like, why don't I feel like my life is being transformed? Sign up for how to read the Bible and start to understand this love letter of, of a word that God has written for you. It will change your life. Or you're thinking, you know, I read some Old Testament passage. I have no idea what's going on. Come and hear the story of God's heart throughout the Old Testament. Learn what it means to walk with God in a class like Activate or pursue God's heart for the nations in perspectives. Go outside. If you're, if you're a sister here, sign up for the women's Bible study. Get some community around you and make a priority of knowing God, not just doing the right thing, but know God deeply. I told you that I was there on the landing at that apartment complex when Brandy knocked on the door and she looked at that girl and said, My name is Brandy, and a week ago, you stole my purse. And that girl, I I watched the color just drain out of her face. She was terrified. And then Brandy, my wife, continued. She said, you stole my purse. But I want you to know that I love you, I forgive you, and God loves you, and he forgives you. And all of a sudden, that girl her eyes started flooding with tears and her knees started to get weak. She started to fall. And so Brandy scooped her up, wrapped her up in her arms. And these two women just wept together, holding each other. And I was there too. (laughs) What is going on right now? We found out that she had lost, this was the third job she had lost in six months, and that she had a little baby boy, and she was desperately trying to figure out ways to provide for him. And so Brandy goes, well, we're going shopping. And then I go, uh, (laughs) now I'm back in the car, (laughs) 
We go to the grocery store. Brandy looks at her and says, what do you need? And she goes, food, diapers, formula. And Brandy goes, we're going to take care of you. She grabs a cart, goes to the baby aisle, sticks her arm out, and just dumps the entire aisle into the cart. And then we get to the checkout. She's looking for her wallet because, of course, she left her purse in the car. And at that moment, this passage flooded my mind. And it was like the Lord saying, do you see? Do you see? Do you know me? Look at your wife. She knows me, and I got it. And so I put my hand on her hand, and I looked at my wife, and I said, hey, I get it. I got it. You take care of her. I'll take care of this. This is the invitation, church. Know God's heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you. God, you're so good to us. You are everything this passage says. You are compassionate, abounding with steadfast love. At your cost for our benefit, all of you for all of us, that's the kind of love. And God, I am desperately praying that every person in this room, every man, woman, and child would know you and know you deeply. Anyone who doesn't have the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ in the gospel, I pray, Lord, that this would be the day they raise their hand and say, Lord, would you rescue me? For those of us who know you, God, I pray that we wouldn't just slide through this life without knowing you deeply, but instead, Father, I pray that we would chase you and be transformed by the renewing of our mind. In Jesus' name.